Good morning. No, come on now, give me more. I can't. <laughs> I'll run out. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking two weeks ago. <laughs> Let's do 13 services in two weeks. That'd be a great idea, wouldn't it? But it was a great idea, and it's been great. We had a great time with Rob, our uh, our district superintendent, and then we took off, and uh, Lynn and I, and we drove uh, to Kansas uh, or to McCook in a day, and that was some kind of 27-year-old Rob brain thinking that the body is still matching the brain. That wasn't a great idea, but we made it, and we were able to see Lynn's dad, and we made our way into Topeka, had some great services with Kip Laxon, and uh, you remember Kip. He's been here three years or so, and then we had Rob, and uh, he says hello. He's thinking about you guys. He's saying, how's the folks, and he, he I don't know how he does it. He'll go, well, now how's that, those, those two that sit on that row that over there, because he remembers where you sit, and I say, I don't know who you're talking about, but they're fine. I'm sure they're fine, <laughs> you know. And uh, so, but he's doing great, and we had great services. It was a great time at, at Wanamaker, but I'm glad to be home. I'm telling you, as I rolled into Topeka, it was kind of like, I don't know, all uh, there was like, like stress came back and all this stuff. It's stuff you forget about. You only remember the good stuff, and then all the, so I started feeling a little bit of stress, and I said, oh, there's all kinds of unique personalities. You know what unique personalities are, don't you? You've been around unique personalities before, haven't you? So I've been around some of those, and it just kind of, but it was still great services, great time. But I, I thought about here. I was like, man, it's so, it's so late. These are California people, man, because, you know, a, a nuclear bomb goes on, and it's okay, man. It's all right. <laughs> it's all going to be good, bro, you know. And so it's been so good to get back home and just to kind of relax a little bit. We got back on, on, I got back, well, Lynn got back, like, she had to be at work Monday, but I drove, I left Wednesday night after service, after eating with John. I got to eat with John, like, every night. How great was that? So that was wonderful, but Wednesday night, we finished up services. I ate with John, and then I loaded my car and headed for Oklahoma City. Made it to Oklahoma City by about four in the morning, and uh, then uh, got up at nine. I guess that, that's a five-hour night. That's not bad. So uh, got up and, and left at 10 and drove all the way to to uh, Albuquerque, but there's a little something in between that once again reaffirms that this thing doesn't know how old it is, and so I was driving, 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 doing okay, doing okay, stopped for uh, lunch at my favorite little chili dive in Amarillo, that, you got to go there sometime, and then, but I made my way in, I was just, I wasn't too far out of Albuquerque, and I pulled off, I thought, you know, I'll just do my thing here, pilot, and uh, next thing I knew, my phone was ringing, and I, I looked at it, and, hey, how come it's dark out? And uh, it was my brother, and, he, and I, I answered it. He says, where are you? I said, uh, I'm at a pilot. And I looked, and the stall that I was in, I didn't know how I got there. I don't remember knowing how I pulled into that stall. And, and he goes, well, uh, where, though, where? I said, I, I, I don't know. I said, let me look on the maps to find out where I'm at. And I was looking on maps, and I was getting a little frustrated, and he goes, are you okay? I said, I'm fine. I said, I'm going to go in, and I'll come back out, and I'll tell you where I'm at. And so, so I hung up on him, and I said, I'm kind of, I was a little disoriented. And I went in, and I came back out, and I found out I was still about an hour outside of Albuquerque. But I had fallen asleep in that stall, and I don't remember getting to that stall. So somebody was praying. I, I, Lynn was probably praying, Lord, God help the crazy nut, and uh, but I mean, and then I got on the road and I was like, oh, I'm only 30 minutes out. So I called him and said, hey, I'm 30 minutes out. I know exactly where I'm at. I don't know what you were talking about, but uh, it was a great trip, and I won't do that part again. Somebody said, hey, take three days. Take three days. It's okay. But uh, I left Albuquerque Friday morning and got here, got here, uh, Friday night, right? I think that's what, I'm still not sure exactly where I'm at and what time it is, but I think, I think we'll be okay. But I greet you once again. I want to say thank you to Goose and thank you to Dale and all those that do the things that they do when I'm not here. It just shows you don't really need me. It's, a, it's, just, a, it's just a game that we play, but they're, they're really good and they help and they're wonderful. And Goose took care of a wonderful uh, family memorial yesterday. Uh, here at the church, and the family was blessed, and he did a great job, and Julia sang, she's amazing, oh, she's, don't do that, don't do that, you, you, you did awesome, and, and I just, I took a picture of it, threw it on Facebook, you know, and I, I don't mean to, you know, just pump you up or anything, but just as soon as the, the vocal comes out, you just go, 
And I'm thinking this family's got to be thinking, how did we get this lucky? How did, it, how did we get this, you know? And so we're, I'm grateful and thankful for all those that, that jump in, fill in, and have a, a great time. Uh, but at the time that we had away, it was just priceless, and we were able to check on all the new restaurants in Topeka, and there's a bunch of them, and it's getting crazy there. It's changed. It's not like here. I mean, we have a Walmart, but it's, it's just kind of, it's okay. It's like, even with the, the island that goes down Tucker, who cares? Who cares about how I turn around on Tucker anymore? I don't care. It's all good, right? It's great, because I've just came from Topeka, and it's changed, so it's all good. And uh, we're grateful for how God met with us. I'm grateful for how God met with you here, and I'm great, uh, grateful to be back. And today I'd like to take us on a short journey. I'll, I'll, I'd like you, us to walk with Thomas, uh, St. Thomas, to, uh, as we identify with him from our own lives. I wonder what we could learn from him, see what he was seeing, walk in his shoes for just a moment this morning. The word comes to us from the book of John, chapters 20 verses, or, or, chapter 20, verse 24 through 29. Let's stand together as we share from God's word, transform lives. Thomas, what does that look like? John 20, 24 through 29, it says, but Thomas called twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came, so the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger in the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never, I'll never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and said, peace, be still. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Don't be faithless, Thomas, but believe. And Thomas responded to him, well, I don't know. I think I might be seeing things. No, he did not. He, he simply said, my Lord and my God. And that just says everything, does it not? My Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are the people at Tehachapi Church of the Nazarene who have not seen me and yet believe. Amen. Thanks be to God. Well, that's not exactly what it says. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father, thank you for your word. We ask you to just pin it right to our hearts, Lord. Go into the deep areas, the darker areas, Lord. Maybe, maybe we're not ready to share that. Maybe we're not ready to open that to you, Lord. I pray that you would work your way and that we'd be obedient to you and that we know that you come to us lovingly this morning. And, uh, Lord, I pray that where we lack faith or where we doubt, Lord, that you would instill the light of the Son of God, Lord, right into that space, Lord. We give you thanks for it as we share together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, there's a story that's been around for quite some time now, and it's about a group of scientists who got together and they decided that humankind no longer needed God. They just didn't need God anymore, so they picked one scientist to go and tell God that they were done with him. We're, we're done with him. And the scientist walked up to God and he said, God, we've decided that we no longer need you uh, we're to the point that we can clone people and we do very, uh, a whole lot of miraculous things. So why don't you just go and get lost? So God listened very patiently and kindly as he does with all of us. He listened to the man. And after the scientist was done talking, God said this very well. How about this? Let's say we have a man-making contest. To which the scientist replied, okay, great, that's, uh, let's do that. Uh, I'll, I'll spar with you on that one. But God added, now, we're going to do it just like I did back in the old days with Adam. That's how we're going to do it. So the scientist said, sure, no problem. And he bent down, he grabbed himself a big old handful of dirt. And God looked at him and said, no, 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 you get your own dirt. You get your own dirt. That's my dirt. I created that dirt. It was about 32 years ago, and a young music and youth minister showed up for his new ministry assignment. It was a beautiful city. It was a great church with a new sanctuary, and the church had a beautiful campus with a Christian school, and all the indicators were there that this would be a great place to serve God and to love and to work with his people. And as I stood at that window in my office looking out across the beautiful campus grounds, I remember thinking, I doubt this will last very long. I wonder how long this is going to last. 
I hadn't even started the work that God had called me to do there. I hadn't had my first week, and I already was feeling doubt and sensing that this wouldn't last very long. I felt like I'd already missed something, that there, that there was yet another hammer that was just about ready to drop. You ever walked in that manner? There's just around the corner, around the bin. I'm going to make a turn, and here comes that hammer again. It's going to drop. I was, I, was, I was figuratively going to have to pick up my own handful of dirt and begin creating on my own, I, I felt. It was as if God was saying, hey, hey, Rob, hey, Brooksy, go get your own dirt. Of course, he wasn't saying that, but but that's what I was feeling. I, I'll need to get my act together and, and, and get this done on my own because no one's going to help me. I'm kind of on my own. There is no playbook for this. I sensed that there was something missing, that there was something either wrong with people. I, that was one of my favorite things to think. There must be something wrong with people. Back then I'd say there must be something wrong with all Nazarenes. I just label them, there's got to be, because they all act the same way no matter where I go. They act that way. Or maybe there's something wrong with the church. Maybe it's a church thing. I could not put my finger on it, but there was not much hope in, in my heart at that moment. I felt as though I was on a constant treadmill of trying to figure out the things that didn't make sense to me. You ever been there trying to figure it out? How do I get through this? How do I make my way through this thing that I'm going through? Continual attempts at getting closer to God, finding out his will, and running toward him left me running in circles, only to feel like here I am again, lost and all alone. And there's another song that comes, lost and all alone. <laughs> that goes back a ways. Uh, that's bread, right? I think that's bread. Where did my band go? They know. I just felt lost. I was on my own trying to figure it out. I can imagine how Thomas might have felt when he heard that the others had seen Jesus. I always felt about in life about five minutes late to certain things. <laughs> you ever felt that way? Just, uh, I was ready, but I just, you know, didn't get there quite in time. And Thomas, I wonder how he felt when all the others had seen Jesus. Left out, maybe frustrated. Frustrated that he was he was doing something else at that moment while everyone else was seeing the Lord. Busy with other things while the miraculous occurs. Can you imagine the feeling? What? He was there. When did this happen? How did it happen? Who was there? Why didn't someone come to get me? How could I miss it? Why did I have to miss it? And then, no, 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 I can't, I can't believe this. I can't wrap my mind around this. There's something wrong here. You guys are pulling my leg. How could this be? How is it possible? I don't believe it. I won't believe it till I see the scars in his hand and his side. With my own eyes, I must just see it. I have to see it. That's what it will take to convince me for me to believe. The setting of our text is after Jesus' resurrection, of course. It was a Sunday evening, and the disciples were meeting in the house, in that house uh, with the doors locked for fear of their enemies. The doors are locked. No one can get in. They may be next. And suddenly Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. That's what Jesus brings. That's what he, he brings when he comes to us. Peace be with you. Have peace. Don't worry about it. You're going to be okay. You see, that's what Jesus brings when he comes. He brings peace. He brings comfort when he shows up. And then he showed them his hands and his side. You can imagine the disciples, how overjoyed they must have been. This is him. He's risen. We knew it. And here he is. He's come back. And after this, he said to them a second time, I suppose he thought that they knew, he knew that they would need it. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. You're going to do something amazing. You're going to be commissioned right now. You're going to be going out. And with that, he breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone else, they will be forgiven. If you do not forgive, they won't. They won't be forgiven. But Thomas called Didymus, or the, the twin, one of the 12, he was not with the disciples. Can you imagine the sense, the feeling? He wasn't with them when Jesus came. He wasn't there. We don't know why. We don't know what he was doing or what was more important than being in the room with the others, but he just wasn't there. So the other disciples told him, we saw him. We seen him. He was here. I can't get over that. Missing that event. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks 
I can't, I can't receive this information. I have to see it with my own eyes. A week later, a whole week, a week later, the disciples were gathered in the house again. And Thomas was with them this time. Good job, Thomas. You know, fool me once, my fault. Fool me, you know, <laughs> or your fault. Fool me twice, my fault. It's not going to happen again. He's with them. I wonder how the week went for Thomas that week leading up to that, that visitation. I wonder if he felt like the, the loser that we sometimes feel like when, when we weren't where, where everyone else was, when we missed out because we were doing other things, when, when we were busy for whatever the reason was, but we missed it. I just wonder how Thomas might have been feeling like day one after, or, or, or day two, or, or four, or five, or six. If there was any hope left at all that he might get to see the Lord, day seven might have brought an all-is-lost kind of thought or feeling, conceding the fact that I've truly missed it. What is wrong with me? You ever ask yourself that question about yourself? What is wrong with Why did I do this, all this driving in, in one time when I should have taken longer. That was not a good idea. I sat at that stall thing. I, 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 that, this could have been a bad deal. But a week later, the doors, they were locked, and Jesus again came, and he stood among them. Peace be with you once again is what he had to say. Then Jesus gets right down to it, doesn't he? He knows that he's already talked to the others, and he knows exactly what Thomas is feeling, what he's sensing, what he needs. He says, Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and start believing, Thomas. Quit your doubting and start believing. Then Thomas said to him, well, let me, can I, can I sleep on it a week? Could you give me just a little more time? Because this is where you just walk through a door, and I don't know how that works. And here you are. You say, peace be still. What am I supposed to think? Could you give me some time? No, he didn't say any of that. He just said, my Lord, my God, this is the one. He's the one. He's the one they crucified. He's on the dead and buried, rose again from the dead. And here he is in our midst, and I get to see it. I haven't missed out. Do you think you've missed out? Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you believe. And then he said, blessed are those in Tehachapi, California, who have not seen and yet believed. That would go for all those down through the ages who have believed and not seen what, what the disciples saw. It's a beautiful story about an honest and devoted disciple for whom the resurrection story, the resurrection seemed simply too good to be true, and he had missed it. God had showed up. We don't know why, but... He wasn't there and he could not believe until he saw it for himself. And each time we read this story of the man who has forever been commemorated as, do you, you remember, Doubting Thomas. You like that on your epitaph? Hey, inscribe that on my stone, Doubting Thomas. We used to sing, why worry when you can pray. Trust Jesus, he'll be your stay. Don't be a doubting Thomas, poor guy. But rest fully on his promise. Why worry, 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 worry when you can pray? You know, he's kind of used in that pun sort of way, in that don't be like him, don't be like doubting Thomas. It gives us the opportunity to remember when we ourselves have felt left behind over something. Uh, have felt like we missed it or we didn't measure up or we have not had all the information that others seem to have had. It gives us hope when we were not all that and a bag of chips, as they say. You may remember hearing or reading about the doubts that plagued uh, Mother Teresa during her ministry. Most of us understand about those kind of doubts. If we had to witness and face all the suffering that she faced and that she witnessed, we would wonder where, where God was too. Our, our younger folks, they wonder that. Why would a loving God allow such horrendous things to happen? They, that they, they grapple with that. You know, some of us, when we've gotten older, we've moved on and we just, it's just the way it is, but they still feel strongly. What is it about that? Why would God that loves so much, why would there be a hell created and all these things? And I don't understand. How do I wrap my, 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 my mind around that? But you see, Mother Teresa, she never gave up serving God. She never stopped. That's the important thing. She never stopped serving. Scottish, Scottish evangelist Henry Drummond, he, sum, uh, he summed up the difference between unbelief and doubt. The, the difference between unbelief and doubt, he said it in this way. He said, Christ himself never failed to di distinguish between doubt and unbelief. 
He says this, doubt is can't believe. Unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is can't believe and unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is honesty and unbelief is obstinacy. Obstinacy. I had trouble first service. I said, I'm still on I-40 somewhere. Doubt is honesty and unbelief is obstinacy. Amen, brother. You got it. Doubt is looking for light and unbelief is being content with darkness. Some of the great saints who have ever lived struggled with doubt. In fact, the more committed you are to serving God, the more intensely you will struggle with the things of faith. It's just going to be that way. Persons for whom faith is nominal never struggle. And that's because they don't really care. But if you really care, if you're really seeking to give up everything to follow Christ, you're going to wrestle with the meaning of it as well as the reality of it all. You're going to struggle with what it all means as well as the reality of what it is all about. Thomas really wanted to serve Christ. We know that. We're tempted to want to be cynical of Thomas. What's wrong with him? He was with all the rest of them. How did he miss it? And why did he doubt? What, what didn't he get right? But Thomas was an all-in follower of Jesus. There's another incident that we find in the New Testament. When Thomas was a prominent figure, this time before Jesus went to the cross, it was right after the raising of Lazarus, and Jesus has announced, he announced that he had to go to Jerusalem, and all the disciples said, hey, I don't think we want to go there. That's not a good place to go. Uh, uh, they'll try and kill us there. They, they were disturbed by that announcement. And Jesus and his enemies, they were gathered in Jerusalem. There was great danger there, danger that finally resulted in Christ's crucifixion. But remember, it was Thomas who said this, Let us go also that we may die with him. This is an all-in follower of Jesus. Thomas didn't have a nominal faith. He really did care, and so he struggled, as many great saints since have struggled. Just as you and I, at times, in our faith, we struggled. I remember halfway through ministry, somewhere along the way, I don't even remember where I was, I just remember the feeling. I, I, I think I woke up and I thought, what, what if this isn't all true? Why would I think that? Well, I wasn't thinking that. That, that thought doesn't come from God. And I met a guy in my office one time in, in Topeka, and he came in, and he was, he was struggling with, with his own faith. And I said, well, what are you struggling with, man? He goes, what if it's all a hoax? And he meant that. I said, well, I'm going to live as if it's not, because I believe it's not a hoax. And he was just grappling with it. How do I follow God? What if, what if I get to the end of this thing and it's all been for nothing? I said, well, it's all been for nothing. You've lived an awfully good life, brother, to serve the way that the Word tells us to serve, to love others the way the Word tells us to. Doubt. We've all struggled with it. One of the issues that many face in our modern culture struggle is with the relationship between science and faith. That's a hot topic, right? We, we don't want to talk about those things in church, do we? A hot issue in some parts of our land is an effort by some Christian leaders to have schools that teach the subject called intelligent design. The rational for this is that there are some people who believe that science, as it is being taught in many schools, particularly the teaching of evolution, undermines belief in God. And the teachers of intelligent design, they want equal time. They, they want to show that properly understood, the evidence from science supports the idea of a divine creator. It's an issue that will just not go away. It's not going to go away. There are a couple of principles to consider that might help if we find ourselves as one of those who struggle with such questions. It may prove particularly helpful to, to younger people as we, as we consider how do we grapple with all that? The first principle is, that, is this, that, that science deals with how. Science deals with how, and faith deals with why. Let that one sink in for a minute. Science deals with how, faith deals with why, and there's really no conflict between the two. And when you really think about it, now don't get nervous. You're all getting nervous, aren't you? Uh-oh, where are we going with this? Now, don't, we don't have to worry because God's in control 
Anything that is true is true. God is a God of truth. If science says that the universe is 14 million years old, it turns out to be true, then it's true. You're getting worried now, aren't you? What do the rocks tell us, brother? That's how long God took in fashioning life, if that's what it is. I don't particularly believe that, but we'll all find out one day, won't we? If God used evolution to achieve his goal, so be it. Science deals with how. Faith deals with why. I don't particularly ascribe to that. But if that's how it turns out, truth is truth, and God is the God of truth. There are some people in our modern world who believe that everything happened by chance. If you get into a classroom or a discussion with someone like this, don't get bent out of shape. They've just been taught that this is an enormous universe and that in a universe of such enormity, anything is possible. And they're right. This is an enormous universe, and we don't serve a small God. You're still nervous, aren't you? But ask them if they believe, ask them, if they believe we simply evolved by blind chance, how do you explain beauty? Why do our eyes and our brain not see in black and white? That's all we need for survival. That's all evolution should have given us. Yet we live in a world of incredible beauty. Have you seen my wife? Have you seen that? Uh, uh. First service, she was quick. Move on, move on, move on. No, we live in a, a, a place of incredible beauty. Why? And why are we so constructed that such beauty satisfies something deep down in our soul? Who has not been taken back by the beauty of a sunset as I drove through the desert uh, Friday night, the painted sky, it was on fire. I did something I'm not supposed to do. I pulled my phone out, and I clicked. I didn't look. I just clicked because <laughs> you, you're not supposed to. But I, And then later I looked at the picture. I said, those are ugly. A phone cannot grasp the beauty of what our eyes can see. And God made that. We, we see the beauty of a sunset. Nature is an amazing force for sure. If we came to this place by chance, can you, how could it be? And how do you explain four-part harmony? I'd ask you that right now. Now we're getting on something interesting in, in my world. That seems frivolous perhaps, but think about it. Four-part harmony is certainly not required for survival. Not something we're going to need. You're not going to track down an animal, kill it, and sing to it. I mean, you don't need four-part harmony to survive. Oh, oh, to be sure, it is helpful to hear a range of pitches, but why do our voices make such a wider array of sounds, and, and why? When those voices are blended, can they make such an awe-inspiring sound? You ever heard really good four-part harmony? We used to sing it in church all the time with a hymnal right in front of us. You might want to bring those back. Altos, soprano, we had a couple more in first service. <laughs> but there's alto and the soprano and the deep, deep bass, bass. And then there's tenor. That's where I go. We've all heard music that has transported us right to the portals of heaven. The Hallelujah Chorus. My kids' school that they grew up in, the high school, Topeka West High School, they still have their big pops concert at the end. They invite all the alumni to come up, and I see people in the audience, and they have their instrument with them. I go, what are you bringing your horn for? They're, they're waiting for the last song, the last song of the night, and they invite every alumni up, and they, there's got to be 450 people up there, and they sing the Hallelujah Chorus, and everybody plays, and everybody sings, and it's marvelous. It's amazing, the, the noise. And that was God's, that's how he decided. He said, just make a joyful noise. And they make it, and it's a hallelujah chorus with everything that you could possibly hear. It's beautiful. They still do it in school in Topeka, Kansas. Hmm. The hallelujah chorus alone ought to win us over. Win over the most skeptical, cynic chance? I don't think so. You see, science tells us how, and faith tells us why. Scientists, no matter how brilliant, are mere mechanics. Nothing against mechanics. 
We need them. They're tinkering with the machinery that God has created. They've discovered new things all the time. They are always discovering new things, and I'm glad that they do. That's what God intends them to do. Their role is just like yours and mine. We should be glad about it, to improve life on the earth. That's what we're here for, to to tend it, to care for it. But when some scientist says pompously that there is no God, they have stepped out of from science, and they've entered into the arena of faith. In fact, I might say it this way. There's nothing science can discover that ought to shake our faith. Nothing. One sincere believer said that if they ever find the the, the body of Jesus, then all Christianity would come tumbling down. He was trying to express the importance of the resurrection, but he he was and he is wrong Sometime back, National Geographic reported that a group of scientists had discovered the tomb of Jesus and his family. Do you remember that? They found found the tomb of Jesus and his family, but the evidence was too flimsy to, to be taken seriously. It was the worst kind of sensationalism, but even if they had discovered Christ's tomb, that would not be the end of the world. St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that at death we throw off our physical bodies, and we put on our new spiritual bodies. Notice in the story of Thomas, Jesus was able to appear to the disciples. He was able to appear to them behind locked doors. It would freak us out, would it not? How does that work? Did, did, did they open that and I missed it? The doors were not a barrier to his resurrected body. How would Paul know about the new spiritual body unless he had heard it from the apostles? their report about Christ's appearances. Jesus had a body, but it was not exactly the same body that he's crucified with. Or it might have been. A physical, because he's God. I suppose he could re-molecularize and, and make his way. See, I'm not a scientist, <laughs> so I don't know how he would do that. Maybe you in science would know how that works, but no. A physical body does not go through doors. The important part is that there's nothing in the physical world that can destroy our faith. I think people worry about that. Oh, what if they find? What if, what if they find and it's it's all not right? Don't let anyone mislead you. Science deals with how, and faith deals with why. Here's the second important principle. There are two kinds of truth in the Bible. We've talked a little bit about this before. There's a historical truth and there's a spiritual truth. When the writer of Genesis wrote about the creation of the world and said that it occurred in six days and God rested on the seventh. He wasn't giving a historical chronology. If you want to know how long it took, ask a mechanic. Ask a scientist. The writer of Genesis was writing about two spiritual truths. One was, of course, that God created everything that is. So God created it all. And God spoke. He said there was light and there was light. And the second is the importance of the Sabbath. God works six days and rested on the seventh, and so should we. Whatever that seventh works out for you. I used to be off on Monday. That's changed. But it's okay. We're figuring out our Friday or whatever it's going to be, right? Lynn's working. And for the first time in how many years? At least since we almost, well, not quite, probably at least 25, 27 years, she works on Mondays. Yeah. But it's okay because God's taking us to new places. Amen? Amen? Oh, yeah, she did. <laughs> okay, very good. But the, the, the Sabbath, Sabbath rest is a very important principle for the Hebrew people. And that ought to be more important to us, really. But the Bible is a mixture of historical truth and spiritual truth. The important thing is that God speaks through his word. And we need to heed what the word says. If we try to make the Bible into something it's not, we make the faith look foolish. We make our faith look foolish. Back in the 1600s, most people believed quite naturally that the sun revolved around the earth. The sun rises and the sun sets, so naturally it must revolve around the earth. Then there came a man named Galileo who said that it was not so. Well, religious people were up in arms. They got kind of hot about that. After all, Psalm 93.1 and Psalm 96.10 and Chronicles 16.30, they all include text stating that the world is firmly established. It cannot move. 
In the same tradition, Psalm ninety-five or Psalm one hundred four five says, "The earth, or the Lord, set the earth on its foundations; it can never be moved." And Ecclesiastes one five says that the sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. Galileo claimed that it was never his intent to dispute the Bible. In fact, he said this was not contrary to those scripture passages. He took Augustine's position on scripture that we should not take every passage literally, particularly when the scripture is in question is a book of poetry or, and songs, not, not a book of instructions and history. Don't compare apples and oranges. There is a historical truth and there is a spiritual truth. There are parts of the Bible that are poetry, parts that are a parable. These are intertwined with historical narrative. It's difficult even for scholars to separate the two. Science tells how, faith tells why. There's historical truth and there's spiritual truth. Here's the final thing that needs to be said. We walk by faith, not knowledge. That's a good one right there. We walk by faith, not knowledge. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see through a what? A glass darkly, but then face to face. And it's true. There's very little certainty in this world. Notice Jesus' words in response to Thomas's acclamation of faith. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. And blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's a powerful statement for us to this day because You have seen me. You have believed. Blessed are those who believe and they haven't seen. Comedian Woody Allen once asked why God couldn't just give us some kind of sign that he exists. Like depositing a million dollars in a Swiss bank account in his name. Wouldn't that prove something to you? But you see, that's not the way God works. Any of you who have ever sat beside the bed of a loved one In a time of crisis, know that God sometimes, we don't always know why, sometimes he hides his face from us. He hides his presence from us. And why? I don't know. I don't know. Again, maybe it's because that is the only way that God can help each one of us to grow spiritually into souls worthy of spending eternity with him. We'll know more by and by. We'll know more in that day that will come. People who do not struggle with their faith remain forever spiritual adolescents. Go ahead and struggle with it. Ask the questions, why? Why do people have to suffer? Why is there poverty? Why why is there such strife? Ask those questions and then seek the Lord. Seek His Word. The Reverend Maltby Babcock from Lockport, New York, In 1901, he wrote these words. This is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, his hand and wonders wrought. This is my father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. We sure can learn a lot from our hymns. Psychologist Gary Greenberg tells of a sitting with his seven-year-old son, marveling at the beauty of a giant ichnu man. You ever heard of an ichnu man? It's a fly. And it's huge. It's wasp-like. It's an insect. And as they consulted the encyclopedia, I know you're all going to go home. You're going to Google it. Ichnu man. They looked through the encyclopedia about the mysterious creature. They learned about the amazingly intricate and the bloody process by which it reproduces, and in their amazement and wonder asks, how can this be? Isn't it amazing, Gary Greenberg asked his son, that all of this could happen by accident? And then Gary Greenberg realized the absurdity of his own question. 
He began a spiritual quest seeking to answer the question whether there might be not only a design to the universe, but also a designer. Of course there is a designer. Who could doubt it? Science tells us how. Faith tells us why. There are historical truths and there are spiritual truths. We walk by faith, not knowledge. Jesus said to Thomas, because you have seen me, you believe. But blessed are those who believe and have not seen. I wonder if there are those this morning that feel like they've missed it. That while everyone was enjoying the reappearing of Jesus, while, while they were all being commissioned and being set out, that you were being left out, left out to figure it all out for yourself. Maybe you stood at your own window in life, peering out, wondering, how long is this going to last? Maybe you've contemplated, is God with me? And then you felt, I, I doubt it. Well, there's a final part to the story that I'd like to point out. This is such an important part of the story. We, must, we, we usually just run past it. it. It's not a prominent part of the story, but it's been said that mighty big doors open and close on such tiny hinges. It's a single word that we find in verse 26. It says, a week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came. Jesus came. Don't. Don't run past that word because Jesus comes. He comes to us when we're feeling on the outs. He comes to us when we don't think we can figure it out and we need to do it on our own, pick up our own plot of dirt and try and create for ourselves. Jesus came and he stood among them. You see, it is within us when we are disillusioned with our circumstances to feel all left out, to sense that we've missed it, that we we need to pick up some dirt and create for ourselves, figure it all out on our own reasoning. We can become cynical and doubtful or at least figure that we've done something wrong that, we, that left us out on the fringes of the spiritual experience. Sometimes we feel like, like, like someone who doesn't belong, someone that wasn't picked. You remember that time on the playground? We all got together and they started picking and you were doing the numbers and the math and you weren't the one being picked. I remember those days. Get down to the last two of us and I'd get picked. Yes. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Feeling left out. Feeling like I don't matter. Feeling like I just missed it. I was just a click shy. Just five minutes and I might have been part of that team. And there are all kinds of ministries that will try to diagnose you and tell you where you missed it and what you must do to really find Christ. If you'll just send $39.95 in today. There's all kinds of people that will try to help you get back on some kind of track, to really get re-engaged with what God is wanting to do in your life, we'll find ourselves jumping through all kinds of hoops to get ourselves fixed to somehow get to God again. But here's the truth for us this morning. If you, forgot, if you forget everything else that's been shared, don't miss this. We don't find our way to God. He finds his way to us. He came to Thomas with all Thomas's doubts and questions that, that he, he may have had. Jesus comes to him already knowing what Thomas needs. And he says, Thomas, I'm right here. I've always been right here, Thomas. Put your finger right here. Look at my hand. See the side. Don't be faithless, Thomas, but, but believe. You see, we become really good with all that we have to put the onus on ourselves. That we must search for him, seek him out, pursue him, pick up our own dirt and create our own way forward. But I want you to know today that if you're facing doubts and dismay, if you're wondering what you did wrong and why you've been left out on the outs, know this, you haven't done it wrong. You don't have to go uh, foraging to find where you got off track and on the right track, how to get off the right track. You see, Jesus is coming. Jesus comes. He's coming to bring to you, to bring to your life faith. He wants to encourage and create faith in you, not take it away, not smack you down, not tell you if you wouldn't have done that, you wouldn't be where you're at. What's the matter with you? He doesn't come to us that way. He comes just this morning. He says, you're in. You're not out. You're in. He says to us this morning, you're feeling lost, broken, left out. You're shut down, ignored, pushed aside, not on the end crowd, he says this, put your finger right here, put it in my hand, reach into my side, reach out your hand and put it in there, don't be faithless, be, but believe, don't be faithless, 
Just believe. You see, he comes to us. You may be right in the first day after his appearing. Maybe it's the third, fifth, or you're hanging on by a thread to the last day of the week. Will I get to see him? Will he visit me? Will he come to me? But no matter what day you find yourself in, he's coming. He's faithful, and he's coming to bring you faith and not doubt. If something comes to you by way of doubt, rebuke it. In the name of Jesus, because that's not how he comes to us. If someone comes to you with doubt, what's going on with you, man? Internally, don't verbally abuse, uh, uh, rebuke them, but internally just rebuke the thought because that's not God's voice. God comes to increase our faith, to remove the doubt. Believe it today. You see, we don't have to prove anything. God's bigger than what's the matter. Science, science tells us how, and faith tells us why, but God wants to instill faith into us this morning. Do you find yourself hanging on by a thread somewhere in your week after his appearing? Then know that he comes to you today and he says, peace, be still. That's his word. Peace, be in your life. I have a plan for you, one to prosper you in your faith and not harm you. He's coming to us this morning. Don't just work harder at this this morning. Enjoy the presence of his coming to us Stop chasing and doubting and have faith. He is here and he has come to us this morning. Stand with me, would you? What day are you in after his appearing? Is it day one? Is it day five? Can you imagine the week for Thomas? I missed it. I wasn't there. I was doing something else. How could I miss it? How could I be so dumb? I missed it. No, you're not. He's close to us. He's here. Can you hear? Listen close this morning. Listen as he speaks to you. He is here. You can bring him your doubt. And he doesn't smack you and say, what's the matter with you? He says, bring it. You're not weird. You haven't missed it. And do you know how you can know that you haven't missed it? Because he comes to you. He comes to you this morning. How different would life, how, how different would we live if we just believed that? We could change our little world here in Tehachapi, we could, we could see our family's lives change. Are you on the outs with a, one of your children? Oh, what would it mean if we just believed that God's coming to us and we don't have to chase him. We don't have to push them towards God. We don't have to drag them. I was drugged to church all my life. I don't have to be drugged anymore. I don't have to be dragged to church. I want to be in church. Know that what's been deposited from an early age is going to come to fruition and Christ is coming. Jesus is coming to them and, and he'll do a new thing. What day are you in? We're not on the outs. We're, on, we're in. And you know why we're in? Because of Jesus. You got hang-ups or heartaches? Is the enemy harassing? He is here. And he comes to us this morning. Would you prayerfully consider where the doubts lie from within you? Would you recognize the voice that comes to you and says you're no good and you've missed it and you should have been there but you weren't and now you're late? That's not God's voice. God's voice says, see my hands? Put your hand in my side. Peace be still. You're on the end. He is here. Would you contemplate that for a moment as we sing a song together? It goes like this. He is here. Hallelujah. He is here. Amen. He is here. You can touch him. And I will bless his name again. He is here. Listen closely, hear him calling out your name. He is here, you can touch him, you will never be the same. Now put it in that key. There it is. Just let the Lord speak to you. He is here, hallelujah. He is here, amen. He is here, holy, holy. I will bless his name again. He 
touch him, you will never be the same. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, is there doubt? Is God identifying any doubt in your life? We don't have to know what it is, but I'd like to know if you're sensing that this morning. You want to allow him to shed his light in that doubt and instill faith where there has been doubt and discouragement and frustration. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if that's you this morning, just with a hand raised so I can pray for you, I'd like to see your hand. If that's you this morning, I see that hand. Yes, yes, I see your hand. Praise the Lord, yes. Father, you see the hands. You already know. Before you walk through the closed and locked door, you already know what is needed in the lives of those that have raised their hands. You knew what Thomas needed, and you know what we need today. And so, Lord, we're grateful. We're thankful that you are with us. You haven't left us. You don't forsake us. And, Lord, you want to instill faith where there's doubt. Lord, might we be encouraged from your word this day. We're not on the outs. We haven't been left behind. We're not just a quarter turn off. Lord, we are right here because you come to us. We don't have to, we, we, we can't run to you, but we, we don't have to find our way to you. You've come to us. So we thank, we thank you and we praise you, Lord. Continue to do that work in our lives, Lord, and still faith that we might say, even though we have not seen, we believe. Lord, we'll let the mechanics and the scientists fuss about such things. But we believe. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. Bless these, your people, as we walk from this place. And as we come into contact with others, Lord, might we be able to share that peace, Lord, that you've brought to our lives. Do that work that you promised that you'd do in our hearts and our lives, Lord, as we go from this place. Thank you for these, your people. Bless as we move out into that world that struggles with so many things. May we say peace, be still. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful, fantastic week. In Jesus' name, amen.